Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Hi, uh, Carolyn, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing well, Uli, thank you. At least as well as one can be uh, during, during this pandemic and during this incredibly difficult and frightening time in our country. Very difficult, right? Exactly. This is a time, so we're recording this right now. There were protests all over America last night here. I'm in the village in New York. So I think we're all very concerned for our country and the well-being of the society. Yeah. And it's, I, I hope that it's clear that what we're trying to do is not to propose any solutions to these these really big problems, nor to ignore them, but just to do our little part in uh emphasizing creativity, goodness, a desire to do and be good in the world. And I think our next guest, Anna Kondo, an artist whom I love as a person and love as an artist, will, will really uh, put us in a good place today. I, I hope that it will, it, will be, um, it will be inspiring to talk to her. I'm certain that it will. And she's a photographer, right, and uh, and a filmmaker, and um, is a mother of two children, two grown women, right? And so and you've known her for quite a while? Yes, I, I know Anna Kondo through another um, friend who's been a guest on our podcast, Cecile Davidve. And I, I liked Anna from the first time we met. She's Armenian in origin, but her family moved to France when she was very young. And so she grew up in Paris and then moved here to New York City as a very young woman when she was married to an, a painter called George Kondo. Uh, they're now no longer together, but for me, one of the really inspiring things about Anna's story is that she's kind of gone through this real evolution from starting out, she studied as an actor in Paris and really wanted to act, uh, wound up moving into filmmaking, I think in the early days of her marriage, and then basically put her own creative ambitions and desires and projects on hold in order to focus on raising her daughters, being a, a good wife to her, her celebrated painter husband. And in the last several years since the end of that marriage, she's really come into her own again as an artist in her own right. Her Instagram feed um, where she posts pictures uh, almost every day of these incredibly haunting and beautiful photographs of flowers in all kinds of different states of 
bloom or decline or fluorescence against all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of styles. They're just endlessly interesting to look at. And I think they reflect uh, something fundamental about Anna, which is she's endlessly interesting to talk to. I think it's really uh, exciting of someone who's actually come into her own sort of a bit later. And I think that's wonderful. So I really look forward to hearing from her today. And I love the images that I've seen online at her Instagram and her websites. And I haven't seen them in person. I won't be able to until the world reopens. But I'm really glad that you got her, convinced her to be on our show today. Oh, I, and as we'll see, she has a special relationship to the Proust questionnaire, which made me even happier to get to ask her to be on this show. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm excited to find out about that. Yeah, we'll hear all about it. So this will be a fun one. Can you see us? Oh, yeah, you have to... Uh... You have to press unmute. Oh, there. Oh, I got it. I got it. Hi. It's magic. All right. So, Caroline, you want to start? Sure. Um, so, hello, Anna Kondo. We are thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us from New York City. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be speaking with you today. We, uh, before we ask the first question on the Proust questionnaire, I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about your particular relationship to this document, to these 35 questions. Uh, sure. You are the only person that uh, we have interviewed thus far who has really used the Proust, Proust, Proust questionnaire themselves in their, in their artistic work. So can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to this uh, set of questions? Sure. In about um, early 2010s or so, 2010, 2013, I shot my first feature-length film and I had only a two and a half day shoot with 14 actors and non-actors. And it was all basically constructed, the entire script was constructed around a weekend where they would be locked out, locked into a house. And so I figured that the best way to addition the actors to who did not have a script but had a Bible instead was hmm. to recreate um, the Proust questionnaire my way. I mean, by adding a few things here and there, and I called it living room confessions. And <laughs> So what I did is I, when I auditioned many, many, many actors, men, women, young, old, all of them systematically, I did the questionnaire and I watched them and I studied them and I saw if I believed what they said or if I was touched by them as a person. And then once I had found the people I was interested in, I gave them a very short resume of who their character was. And I then redid an entire Proust questionnaire, but I asked them to answer as the character. Oh, that's great. And so that was definitive for me to find out who they were, since the entire cast was also based on the anagram, which oh. I'm familiar with. Sure. Um, it was really interesting to, to take this approach. And uh, so, yeah, now I'm the victim. <laughs> so, so I'm sure all the actors, both those you cast and those you did not cast, will listen to this now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I hope so. I hope so. 
Yeah, if you what was what was the film called, Anna? The film is called Merry Christmas. Mm. Um, specifically, I'm born on Christmas Day, so I have a very voyeuristic approach to Christmas in general. Because not only is it such a major day for everyone, but I get to watch it also from my point of view and and experience it uh, like that. So it's a weekend of spoiled rich. Uh, Upper East Siders stuck in a little uh, bed and breakfast because they can't afford Aspen anymore. Behave <laughs> the entire weekend until a stranger shows up at their door and kind of like resets for them. Wow. Oh, Anna, that is so wonderful, and the idea that you use this questionnaire to really cut to the heart of who your actors and who your characters were yeah. is. So thrilling for us because we do, Uli and I always say after we've done one of these interviews, how amazed we are at the profundity and the diversity and the real um, uh, exciting um, uh, texture and color that come out of asking these questions to people whose work we admire, um, people who are doing something interesting to us. So. We're really, really happy that you can do this today. Great. We just like the flowers. It's discovery. On and on discovery of life, people, and everything. Yeah. And yeah. It's wonderful. All right. Well, we'll start with the first question. What is your idea, Anna, of perfect happiness? All right. So to be in a garden, Armenian style, meaning everything's a little out of control. There's grapes and flowers growing everywhere, butterflies, birds, trees, with all my loved ones, my family, my friends, my cats. And then um, taking an outdoor nap, which is absolutely one of my favorite things in the world, eating, singing, and yeah, taking photographs. So... Just with loved ones in nature, having having a joyful time together. Um, Anna, um, what is your greatest fear? Losing a loved one, of course. Yeah. What is the trait you most deplore in yourself? I'm too critical of myself. Mm. Um, I always feel like I need to work like 20 hours a day to reach my full potential. Otherwise, I feel out of place. I feel odd. I shoot as soon as I get up with my coffee in hand, sometimes even while I'm making it. And if I don't work all day, I feel guilty. So, um, see, flowers have a short lifespan, so I feel that TikTok going on, too. Um mm. You know, Zeze gives me flowers every week, and that's funny. Yeah, and so the guilt of not doing too much or not doing well enough—it's—it's. It's, I don't. I don't think it's a quality. I think it's. Um, it stifles you rather than help you. So I deplore it. Yeah. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Dishonesty. Okay. Um, I can't stand people who lie and cheat to put their agenda first. Since generosity is my favorite quality, yeah. uh, dishonesty is just, yeah, it's, it's, um, it creeps me out, yeah. Uh, which living person do you most admire? So that was hard because um, I'm not a very big fan club type of person. I mean, 
I definitely admire Justice Ginsburg. I think her accomplishment as a woman is, you know, very um, moving to me and important. But honestly, the mailman, I admire the mailman. The, hmm. I, was, I lived in the same house for over 25, almost 30 years. Every time I've had a mailman, which is about two, three max, um, I find that they have a natural elegance, that their kindness, their their presence, um, everything about them just warms my heart. And yeah, thinking of the mailman, the, the postman by Van Gogh is kind of like makes perfect sense for me, you know. Okay. And especially in these hard times, the way that, like I said, they're naturally elegant and kind and and hardworking. I find that un incredibly impressive. Is that the portrait by Van Gogh where he has a beard that's like a whole landscape? Yeah, yeah, worlds. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just looked at it afterwards. You know, after I knew I was going to say the mailman, because I, like, again, like I said, I'm, I'm always amazed and touched by him. And then I looked up at the portrait and I found out that they were the only people, the entire family, the postman and his family agreed to pose for him for free. And right. yeah, that makes sense. It's again, back to generosity and, and all of that. Yeah. What is your greatest extravagance? All right, cameras, computers, and a lot of props. Mm. <laughs> um, so I have a I have a camera for every task. I have a computer, many computers for every task. There's props all over my house. Um, I use iPhone, Polaroid, Leica, and then there's beautiful, ugly miniatures, glassworks, backdrops all over my house. It's it's a the entire place is an artist studio. So yeah, that's definitely my extravagance. Have you been able to keep procuring um, the props and things throughout yeah. lockdown throughout the pandemic? Yeah. So one thing I did right away when the pandemic started is I immediately went and purchased uh, from museum stores to help them. And mm -hmm. MoMA, Know Your Gallery, um, the Georgia O'Keeffe, and they actually called an hour ago to the, the Georgia O'Keeffe to thank me. Um, Noya did that, and I think it's really important to find ways to support institutions. And Etsy is wonderful, and I feel like it helps, you know, regular people make some money in these hard times. And yeah, so it's been great. Yeah. Oh, that's great. What is your current state of mind? Well, considering the situation, I would say calm and collected. I think it has something to do with the fact that not that much has changed for me in life because I'm always a hermit. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I feel like little has changed in my routine. I always stay home, take pictures. The one thing I seriously miss is hugging my kids. Yeah, yeah. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? Tact. I oh, the truth. Um, really? <laughs> I like to have the facts. That way I can let my heart, my brain make its own assessment. Otherwise I get confused and I don't know where I stand and I can't stand not knowing where I stand. Hmm. So tact 
is okay. definitely overrated for me. On what occasion do you lie? Well, rarely and only when all else fails because um, say someone who doesn't really get it, then it's pointless to continue telling them the truth. Then I painfully force myself to twist it. But in reality, I feel really uncomfortable lying. Therefore, I avoid it. Mm. What do you most dislike about your appearance? Well, it is what it is. So, <laughs> um, overall, in the appearance category, I'm a minimalist and I don't focus on it that much. Yeah. Not on my body and my face, but I do like fashion for the craft and the visual effect. Yeah. So dressing up, it's like making a painting or a picture. It's so the overall aesthetic that I really care about. So maybe, um, yeah, not uh, I, I avoid looking at the appearance as an issue, you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, you get older and it's too limiting. So I, I try to work at aging gracefully without artificial help and use a little like surrealist approach to fashion to not think about it that much. Um, which living person do you most despise? Uh, definitely narcissists and bullies or anyone who fits in that category. Unfortunately, they're everywhere, either in prominent position or like normal Joes or Janes. And that's the biggest turnoff for me. Um, and that's, I believe, is also one of the source of racism. It's like, I want to see... Um, me in others, which is completely an uncolorful vision of the world. So anyone who's narcissistic and a bully, I just you know, can't deal. <laughs> what is the quality you most like in a man? Kindness and um, honesty and humility is essential. I like men who go out of their way to do the right thing as well. So I like just men. Yeah. This, this is a very um, 19th century gendered question. So this next question is, what is the quality you most like in a woman? Same, kindness and honesty, for sure. But also uh, warmth and complicity. And I like strong women who fight for what they believe in. And so strong and tender at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which words or phrases do you most overuse, do you think? In English, French, Armenian? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I say it when I'm puzzled. I say it when I'm amazed. And most of the time I'm amazed. Um, I also <laughs> say it when I'm shocked at someone or something. So I use it all the time. I always say, wow, wow, wow. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Ooh, wow. And that, that does, that translates across national borders and different languages. So yeah. I also like that given your dislike of dishonesty, wow is kind of great because it can have multiple meanings and you're still being honest. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think about it. The ultimate shortcut. <laughs>
you're not lying if you say wow and either you that's made it true. or you that's true that's and true. you're not particularly tactful either right 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 wow i have a friend whose father-in-law was a conductor and he told us that uh, once that the worst part of his job was going to see other people's musical performances and then not liking them and because yeah. he just liked dishonesty not having something to say so he came up with an equivalent of wow which was it's really your night oh, which, that's, that's quite tactful though <laughs> you're right there's there's a lot of tact to it but um but it is kind of hilarious yeah. i try to remember that sometimes it's generous on these parts for sure yeah, generous yet honest. What yeah. or who, Anna, is the greatest love of your life? My daughters first, and then of course flowers. I have a strong, intimate relationship with both. They're, my girls are grown now, but just like flowers, I've watched them evolve at every stage, and I've, we've had a lot of fun. And I'm so proud of the young women they've become. And it's the same with flowers from bud till end. I just love watching the every stages. And I'm really thankful that my life's filled with the love with, from my daughters and uh, the beauty and flowers. Yeah. So do you have a favorite flower or is there a kind of a democracy of taste? Um, <laughs> There is a democracy, but you know, there's the other question there, which is what's the only flower you would take on a deserted island if you were stuck there? Because you could do that questionnaire one day, the deserted island question. Um, maybe roses, because um, they do have those qualities I just described in women. They're both um, beautiful and strong. And so maybe a rose and um, thinking of Beauty and the Beast, who, which is my favorite movie as well. So, yeah, mm -hmm. rose. I also think I like roses because they do have their life cycle actually has this kind of dramatic dimension from a bud to like and when a rose is dying, there's something still very visual about it. Some flowers really wilt and droop and gone. Exactly. A rose lets you participate in its demise for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Roses, I guess, but otherwise, I do love them all. I even now love ones I used to not love um, because I felt like I had to open my heart and accept all of them. So, mm. flowers teach me something every day. Uh, what are the uh, what are the ones that you've learned to love but didn't initially particularly care about? Carnations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Major issue with carnations. Yeah. And I've grown to respect them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny, like, because in Proust's time, the carnation was a very prestigious flower. It was considered the most elegant one to have in your lapel if you were a man. And I think that it's so hard for us in this day and age to make that leap to remembering when carnations were actually something new and elegant and fascinating so i love that you've been able to yeah. revive that spirit of appreciation i love them now for sure there's a very beautiful wallace stevens poem and there's red and white carnations we want so much more than that and they're red and white carnations in a clear glass bowl we want so much more than that and the whole i think the whole poem revolves around that flowers are life for a brief moment 
and we want that moment to last. But I'll send you the poem. It's a very beautiful poem. And it's Wallace Stevens, who was known to be an ice block of a person and an insurance uh, executive and very cold as a person. But he wrote this amazing poem about that flowers let us feel so alive. And the carnations are those flowers in that poem. That's great. And they live for a really long time. So, right. yeah, uh, yeah, I've come to, to, <laughs> to get to know them and love them. When and where were you happiest? Now, I guess, you know, because um, um, everything has led to this moment and I feel like more and more the essence of me emerges and um, it was maybe harder to be self-reflective when my kids were younger and when I was younger and life was keeping me busy. But uh, now I'm really grateful and I feel like now is a really great time speaking with you, speaking about things that are important um, to us as people, creative people. And yeah, so now I think is a really great time to be here. That's, that's nice. Thank you for this answer to be here with us today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to add one thing to my Stevens reference because our listeners will call us and correct me, which they should. They're pink and white carnations. And oh, okay. Not, okay. Not red, pink and white. Which talent would you most like to have? I wish I could saw because I love fabric. And the texture, the fold, the way the light hits fabric in painting and photography. I love embroidery. I love beautiful stitches. So then I wish I could sew because I would um, incorporate it into my art and, um, and I would make myself clothes. So, yeah, that would be very cool if I could sew very well, very fast. Yes. Oh yeah, that I always think that would be so empowering to be right? able to actually, yeah, and especially if you like clothes, to be able to make something. I've got all these bolts of fabric at home where I just fantasize that one day I'll wake up knowing how to to work a sewing machine and I'll be able to create. And it never happens, but that that idea is so appealing. I think. Yeah. Could you get people on Etsy ever to sew things for you that you use or? Uh no, but I'm actually preparing a project that if life is ever to go back to a more kind of a stable place, um, I'm working on a sculpture project that involves fabric and and clothes and costumes and et cetera. And so I have started to speak with somebody who would be the, the sewing part of it. Um, and that came about also with the fact that I've kept every piece of clothing that I, I have. I still have the, the first dress I bought with my own money when I was 15. Um, since then, I've kept everything. And so I'd like to somehow take things apart and extend their life by chopping and creating some kind of um, memory quilt of it all, you could say. Wow, nice. Well, having spent a little bit of time in your dressing room and having borrowed uh, the dress that turned out to be my wedding dress from you uh, about two years ago, I can say, I mean, you've got such a phenomenal collection of clothes and it would be wonderful to see you giving them some other kind of life if you're not, no. if you're wearing them, but you're keeping them. Uh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I wish I knew how to drive. <laughs> That's true. I'm always thinking about how I wish I knew I could drive and I 
haven't uh, made the leap. I have the booklet. I just think I just think it's not a good idea. I'm too much of a dreamer. I'm always thinking of something else. So even by foot or bicycle, I'm all over in my head and I think it's not safe for others. So I don't do it, but I'm very impressed by anyone who can drive. <laughs> What do you consider your greatest achievement? My kids, of course, and um, the work I've done on myself. Like I feel like as someone who's self-taught in many, in many territories, um, You know, I was, uh, I'm a big learner. I was an immigrant twice in my life. I speak many languages. Um, I'm self-taught in filmmaking, in photography. Um, I learned English after I came to this country. And just, yeah, I think um, besides my kids, I feel the work I've done on myself to try and be the best version I can be, at least today and hopefully tomorrow even more you know yeah if you were to die and come back as another person or as a thing who or what would it be definitely a lioness that's oh. what i'd like to come back as um they do all the work they're fierce they're brave they're powerful they protect their own um, and they're also graceful and agile and powerful. I love lionesses. Hmm. I know you're a cat person. So does living with cats kind of set you thinking about the Savannah and lions? Is there a lion-like quality to the cats you live with or not particularly? Uh, I think I've always had that kind of like, um, even as a, at a young age, it was always like, it would be, um, either a lioness on earth or an eagle in the sky. It always has been important to me um, from a woman's standpoint, the, 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 the side of um, uh, bravery and, and, um, and force is something that, especially when I was young, you know, girls had to be cute and uh, that was, more or less I just like the power power powerful aspect that uh, these animals have and okay. uh, have you been able to see um Disney's The Lion King on Broadway and Julie Tamer's production no it's it's in my view one of the great theatrical experiences in the world so Julie Tamer's costumes which are life-sized animals on sticks like Indonesian stick figures is one of the greatest pieces of theater I've ever seen so when Broadway reopens, you should see it. And Nala, who is the lioness, is a central figure in the whole story. It's a story of a lion king, clearly, but she is the, per the, the lion who somehow lets him become who he is. So it's, mm -hmm. it is, and I can tell you, I think if you go, you'll be in tears within the first 60 seconds because mm -hmm. to see Julie Tamer recreate this idea that people could act as animals, it is so deeply moving. I really find it is the, one of the best things in theater I've ever seen in my whole life. Out of all the things I've seen, I actually think if you're in New York for two days when everything reopens, you're going to go to the Met or you're going to go to the Disney Theater, go to the Netherlands, the Disney Theater, and see The Lion King. Sounds great. Yeah, and also, you know, in terms of like, say, La Fontaine, I'm obsessed with yeah. it. And so, um, in general, I just think as human beings, there's so much we can learn from, sure, flowers, nature, trees, etc. but animals have so much to teach us and um, 
So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Where would you most like to live? All right, so ideally somewhere that is across Monet's Giverny and O'Keeffe's Santa Fe. Uh, nice. <laughs> so that would be the greatest. Yeah. It would be my version of, you know, Giverny meets Santa Fe. It's a really great idea, actually, this combination. Yeah, I, I love in Giverny, I love the nasturtiums that kind of trail over the gravel path. So they're all lined with nasturtium, and by the end of summer, they're growing into the path. This kind of wild, untamed aspect of Giverny. Let me turn off this blinking phone, if you don't mind. It's so loud. There we go. Okay. But what's, what's the part of um, Santa Fe of Georgia O'Keeffe that you like? I guess there's something kind of like between, um, there's a sensuality in Monet's world and a kind of a lushness that I love. The colors are all over the place. And there's something kind of dry and quiet and serious and reflective in the O'Keeffe world which to me, these two parts are very much how my brain and my heart operate. They're both essential and they both need to be there at different times sometimes, but they, they're both important. Mm -hmm. What is your most treasured possession? My eyes, because mm. I use them all the time and they really are the prunelle de mes yeux. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes are the apples of your eye. Exactly. Adorable. Yeah, I guess hard to be a photographer without your eyes. Yeah, I'm like, that's it. I want to yeah. have them insured one day because I use them nonstop. That's nice. That's a joke, huh? by the way. I'm not going to have course. it. Of yeah. course. Well, it's, yeah. Well, I'm I was going to say. I think you always hear about like Beyonce had her uh, derriere insured that, you know, actresses have the best parts of their body insured. I think it would be perfectly reasonable, even though you were joking, to want to insure your eyes. What do you regard, Emma, as the lowest depth of misery? Well, our planet's definitely in danger. Um, the world is in, the world is uh, we live in is engulfed still in greed, corruption, injustice. Plus, we have dumb popular cu culture. So, yeah, um, the lowest uh, depths of misery would be to neglect um, nature, human beings, art, and culture. That's mm -hmm. the lowest depths. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite occupation? Taking pictures and making films. So taking pictures and making films and in general, anything that involves creativity, beauty, and breathing life into anything so I can make it live, you know, longer and keep creating like that along the way. What is your most marked characteristic? The trait you think others notice in you first or most? I am very determined and driven. I never give up. And I'm a bit of a control freak, I guess. And how does that come through uh, when other people meet you early on, the control freak side? Um, I, think, I think those that are, 
have an open heart, see it as somebody who's very truthful and very kind of like um, upfront and <laughs> a matter of fact. Um, I think for others, it could be a little, you know, scary and, and uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> But I do like to be very much part of the action. So yeah. Yeah. Very driven. even in lockdown, part of the action. Yeah. Um, what uh, do you most value in your friends? Their emotional and intellectual intelligence, for sure. Mm -hmm. They have to have those two together. And they do. All my friends do. Yeah. Who are your favorite writers? Moliere. Ah. Because I love the humor. I love the satire. I love the way he saw the people in his lifetime and talked about them. And um, yeah, I love Moliere. I think about him a lot. when <laughs> I, and, um, and also I love Julian Green. Um, very much since I read uh, Each Man in His Night, I think In His Darkness is the U.S. title. I remember the French title. And then this really great play that he wrote, South. I love that play. Um, he's kind of like the Dostoevsky side of things. He's a lot darker, more serious. But yeah, I would say Moliere is my number one. Have you had a chance to act in when you were training as an actor in Paris? Did you act a bit in Moliere? I mean, that's kind of a dramatic standard in France. And you're right, it's so wonderful and hilarious. Yeah, I did. And uh, the problem is, uh, I, yeah, I did the misanthrope. The problem is I wanted to play the misanthrope, you know. That's not the role I got. And uh, right. I love him. I love his, uh, his whole um, kind of... I guess controlling of the stage, the fact that he wrote these plays, that he acted them, that, he, you know, the Maladie Marginaire, I guess, yeah, he probably was a control freak too. Could you, since I have the two of you. When I talk about controlling is this idea of embracing the whole entire universe that surrounds you and the whole world that's around you from objects to people to everything and making a, a beautiful, meaningful creation out of it. So mm. what I mean. Yeah. I'm going to take brazen advantage of that. I have the two of you right now here. So can you say for readers, especially in English Moliere, I think they know maybe the school for wives or the misanthrope or the miser, but what is it in French culture? What does Moliere stand for? Who is it? Can you say one other thing besides that, that he's creating these kind of this universe, but I would be curious what people who are not familiar maybe with Moliere. The satire for me is the study of character and like observing, you know, patterns that just like when I mentioned uh, La Fontaine, it's it's these these um, these human patterns that keep coming around, and therefore that's also why the work never ages and always feels so incredibly uh, modern. I mean, I look around sometimes on the Upper East Side and I feel like people. <laughs> wearing white powdered wigs and uh, walking around like that because they certainly do behave like um, some of these, you know, crazy characters like the bourgeois gentilhomme. Yeah. No, and Molière really is a, a wonderful 
uh, writer not only to see performed or I imagine to perform in, but to read. So really, I, I, I teach Moliere a lot um, to my undergraduate students. And I think what always strikes them too uh, is what Anna was saying about the modernness of the satirical characterizations of social types. So Moliere was writing really in the uh, second half of the 17th century at a time when uh, Louis XIV was king. And so the king had all this power and there was this very glittering and glamorous court at Versailles. But at the same time, there were all kinds of econ economic and social changes in the kingdom where the middle classes were coming up and gaining more wealth and more power. And Moliere lived more in that world, lived in Paris surrounded by people from these kind of burgeoning new nouveau riche classes and um, the way that he characterized the way that he brought those people to life from those um, from those realms was really something new and yet something that we do uh, see reenacted all the time and he was particularly good just at poking fun of people who were pompous who mm -hmm. were hypocritical mm -hmm. uh, who were sort of self-interested in a slimy way and the satisfying thing about his plays is that the kind of the terrible people always get their due in some funny way yeah. and the the sweeter people are somehow kind of rewarded so things generally end well in Moliere but um the characterizations of these social types uh really do feel very enduring you feel like you know these people you've met them before yeah yeah he uses humor to set the story straight which is wonderful so yeah the next question may relate to this. Who is your hero in fiction or film or theater, an imaginary character? I have to say Robin Hood because he's for the underdog. I'm not into the stealing part, but I <laughs> love that he does all in his power to help others. Mm -hmm. I just love that. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Joan of Arc. Oh, say more. Yes. Well, she was strong at an early age. She was pure. She was decisive, combative, consistent, and a true believer. And there's something about her that just touches me um, in every way possible. And Anna, what, what, at what moment in your life did you move to France? You grew up in Armenia? I was a year and a half old when we left Armenia, and so I grew up my whole life in France. And I actually um, grew up not far from um, Saint Louis uh, in Vincennes. You know the the king um, that was there, um, and so the Bois de Vincennes and the Chateau de Vincennes. And so I always felt some sort of um, energy that that related to, um, you know, and. I guess you could say I'm also, she was, she was an instrument of good and that just speaks to me in general, so. Who are your heroes in real life? Uh, anyone who fights injustice and corruption, for sure. Um, yeah, anyone. Anyone who's truly there to defend um, good and lightness and um, others and... What are your favorite names? Have, pardon me, they have to be active at it. They can't just, it's not about, you know, saying we care for others. So anyone who actually really does something and is driven with a good agenda is, is my hero. Yeah. yeah. 
No, that's a that's a, probably an important distinction to make. That it's not enough just to have good intentions or to say that you want the world to be a better place. Yes, exactly. What are your favorite names? Eleanor, my eldest daughter's name, and Raphael, my youngest daughter's name. Hmm. Oh, your, your young, youngest daughter's name is Raphaela? Yes, uh, Raphael in French, which is, yes, like Raphaela. So my son's name is Raphael. He's a boy. Oh, cool. Yes, I, I love that name. I love that yeah. angelic name. I think it's a beautiful name. Both for a boy and a girl. That's great. Yeah. And I love Eleanor. Is it after Eleanor Roosevelt or just Eleanor? Is no, a... She's definitely a strong woman, which I love. Yes. Beautiful names. Yeah. Thank you. What is it that you most dislike? Well, once again, cruelty and injustice, um, that's given. But on a lighter note, I absolutely can't stand car fresheners. <laughs> <laughs> I have passion for perfumes and, and smells, you know, obviously an extension of flowers. I love wonderful smells. So car fresheners are brutal for me. Oh, yeah. They give me an asthma attack, actually. They really, if I get into a car that has one in it, I can feel it in my lungs. See, they're dislikeful. <laughs> <laughs> what is your greatest regret? None, really, because everything is, you know, the result of, um, of all the choices and, and I've made. And uh, I've learned that it's necessary to embrace the good and bad times in order to find joy in in life now and um, for years to come. Yeah, so all of it's part of it. How would you like to die? Peacefully, painlessly, and with a huge smile on. That would be great. Oh. That would be really great. Oh, the smile is such a nice addition. I, I think a, a few of our respondents have said, you know, peacefully, painlessly, but no one has has specified the smile before, and that's uh, that's lovely. But there's something about the peacefully and painfully, we painlessly, we probably can't quite control. The smile is the one thing you may be able to control. Yes, and also you share it with the ones who stay behind, and they get to see that, and it's an invisible acceptance of, or visible, pardon me, acceptance of everything. And yeah, something joyful would be wonderful. What is your motto? Um, okay, so everything's important. The perfectionist in me sees every detail as important. You know, the control freak wants everything in its right place. But the second part of the motto is nothing is important because the spiritual in me sees everything as part of the big picture. So everything's important and nothing is important. There's a line in the Dhammapada, which is one of the, the, the basic Buddhist texts in Pali, and it says, if you want to be given everything, give everything up. Yeah. And this kind of the, the, the emptiness and the, 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 the losing attachment is actually going to open the world to you. Yeah, because if you do give up everything, everything becomes yours again. 
some, something like that, exactly that kind of fine moment, the sweet spot in this <laughs> relinquishing every attachment to gain, to regain a more profound or different. Mm -hmm. It's a nice, I like the motto that it has two parts. <laughs> <laughs> We add another question to this questionnaire, Anna, and I, I um, which is, who would you like to hear from respond to these questions on this show? Um, I think that you also would enjoy speaking with her. I don't know her very well, but I'd like to know her a little bit better. She's a young artist who's what I purchased one of her work recently in the last few months. Her name is... Um, Heidi Han, and she's very talented um, and very smart. She teaches as well, and I think that um, all three of us would love to hear what she has to say. What's her last name? Heidi Han. Han, I, yeah, like H-A-H-N? Yes, I think so. Let me check. Uh, should I check? Oh, yeah. no, no, we'll, we'll look it up later, but... Um, and we don't have to, we'll, we can cut is, all this. Uh, yes, it's Heidi and Han is H-A-H-N. I think she's a very um, interesting young woman and something about her just excites my, my brain. I, I uh, want to know what she would say, yes. And she's based in New York, do you think, or do you know? In Brooklyn. Oh, I, Teachers as well, um, and I think that would be fun for Caroline, as you know, to to see another creative person who's also a teacher. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, thank you. That's a great suggestion. So we'll we'll look her up. Heidi Hahn is an artist. Yeah, sounds great. And thanks for doing this. I think it's wonderful. This way, we're going to meet a lot of new people and hear exactly what they're thinking, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah that's the goal. And you've added so much to our podcast, Anna. We can't thank you enough. I send you lots of so kisses. much love. Thank you, Anna. Stay well. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.